Welcome to the Christchurch Oceanside Podcast, a faith community on Vancouver Island within the Anglican Network in Canada. We invite you to check out our website at ChristchurchOceanside.ca, or if you're on Vancouver Island, join us on a Sunday in the News Bay. Today's message is brought to you by our pastor, Father Ryan Matchett. We hope you enjoy. Bless you. from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 8, beginning in verse 18 to the end of verse 22. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Well, friends, welcome back to the Christchurch Oceanside podcast. Uh, we are continuing our studies here on the Gospel of Matthew, working our way through chapter 8 now. And we come to this text of Scripture, which is kind of known as the cost of following Jesus. And what we're going to do is take some time here to really consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Once you encounter Jesus and hear his teaching and start to understand what he's offering in his salvation work, then comes this desire to experience and really deeply know Jesus in your real life. So what do you do then? Do you just join a church? Do you attend it as often as you can? Like what exactly is needed and required of us in order to have Jesus to the fullest. Now, I know this seems like a pretty basic topic, but how we answer this not only helps those longing to bring their life into receiving the salvation benefits of Jesus, but it's also for those who feel like their spiritual life is stuck. And I hear that from a lot of Christians today. I'm just feeling like, I hear phrases like, I've been in autopilot for a long time. I am a Christian, you know, finger quotes, but I don't feel like I'm growing and developing. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means then to be a follower, an apprentice or a disciple of Jesus. And where this starts for us is verse 18. And what we have here is this showcase. We're going to see a lot of this in the book of Matthew of where Jesus is interacting with crowds But what he's really seeking to do is make followers. So it says this, When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. He's referring to the the other side of the sea here. 
What we're going to see Jesus reveal is the nature of what it means to follow him, which is in contrast to what I call crowd culture. See, Jesus is noticing this big crowd around him. They've heard about his miracles. They're hearing his teaching. They're seeing his character, that he is compelling. And so all this crowd starts to gather around him. And Jesus does the opposite of what we would expect him to do. You would think at this point he's stoked to have the crowd, that this is the whole point of going public with his ministry. But instead, what he does here, and we see him do it a lot in the scriptures, is he pulls away from it. He pulls away from the big crowd. And he basically says, oh man, look at all this. Let's go over here instead. Why does he do this? I think there's a few good reasons why Jesus pulls away from crowds. I think the first is that they aren't always good for people. He understands that human nature tends to gravitate towards crowds and that with the crowd comes some inauthenticity. Like crowds gather because of curiosity, but they also gather because of FOMO. <laughs> we talk about this a lot with my with my daughters, this fear of missing out that you just are going along with what's happening because other people are interested and exciting. It's not necessarily genuine interest in Jesus himself, let alone genuine faith. Once you have a crowd, you can actually really start to lose the true person. As the currents of popularity and the experience kind of carry them along, but it's not actually that the true inner person engaging with the true Jesus. I, I've heard this from countless people who go, this is some of what draws them to big church, is you can be invisible. You can be a, a fly on the wall. You're not going to be accosted or required anything of you. Nobody notices if you're not present. But Jesus is, he is intentionally choosing to move away from the crowds because he wants real people. He wants them, the inner person, to choose to be with him. The second thing is that crowds aren't always good for Jesus. Not only does Jesus know when to disperse the crowd for their own benefit, he knows how to flee the crowds for his father. And it's often in the context of the crowd that Jesus's identity and the Father's plan are most attacked because a crowd can turn fast. Because if people are there simply by the influence of the crowd, then people can be influenced by the crowd towards a certain feeling. So there's different experiences that we see that Jesus has with crowds where all of a sudden they go from listening and, and interested to all of a sudden we're going to kill them. We're going to stone them or throw them off a cliff. And in other points, we see the crowd's will is different than the Father's will. The crowd wants to make Jesus king now. But the Father's plan is that Jesus would suffer first and save humanity from sin. So the crowd can't actually be fully trusted. And what we see is that Jesus doesn't pine after crowds or long for them. He doesn't need them to know who he is. He doesn't need them to encourage him. And I think that's actually really healthy and helpful for us to see in the character of his leadership. And when choosing a church for us, I think it's helpful to ask, 
Does the crowd serve the leadership or is the leadership serving the crowd? Even more importantly, is the leadership and the crowd truly following Jesus? That too often the crowd is just there to stoke ego, to feel like something significant is happening, that you're a part of something important. But in reality, the inner you is out of touch and the leaders are seeking to actually just feed off of the attention. Then what we see in Jesus when it comes to crowds is he's not afraid to lose them. Jesus says uncomfortable things that makes the crowd go, well, this is hard. I'm not interested. He's not changing his message in order to keep them. And here's the thing. The work of salvation and transforming rebellious hearts into apprentices is ultimately it's done by God. And so there isn't a fearfulness of like, I got to keep up the momentum where people are interested in me. Jesus isn't worried about that because he knows God's working in the heart, drawing them to him. So that's why he says this phrase, go over to the other side. It's a willingness to go against and away from the crowd. Because ultimately, Jesus is making disciples. He's not just gathering a crowd. And in doing so, he's inviting the person in the crowd to decide for themselves. Do I want to follow Jesus enough to go over there? And this is the very thing that we see happen in the following verses. So let's begin unpacking verse 19. And a scribe came came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So here's the scribe. This is a, a learned individual. He's gone through different levels of training um, and is a scribe himself. But now he's hearing Jesus teach and he's seeing what Jesus does and going, this is one with true authority. And so his response is to come up to Jesus, which is a great decision. He's moving against the crowd here, where maybe the crowd is dispersing. He's moving towards Jesus. And he begins with this word, teacher. Now, Jesus has begun his public ministry as a rabbi. People are recognizing this. And this is, in the New Testament, it's a highly religious time with many different rabbis. There's Pharisees, there's scribes, there's even John the Baptist, all of which have followers. Now, rabbinic tradition in the New Testament times was a formalized commitment. So this is a, a well-worn kind of culture that people understand what they're getting into and what they want. And not only would you choose a teacher that you want to follow, but the teacher would have to choose and approve of you. Because it, it also comes with a great deal of kind of honor and respect. And there's a recognition that's taking place here of Jesus as a teacher with authority and worthy of influence in their lives. So this is not just your average person. This is a scribe coming and saying, I'm a serious learner, and Jesus, I want to be with you. And so this is what he says, I will follow you. So I think we got to ask this question, what does it mean to be a follower? Now, in this time, in the Jewish system at the time of this story, there's three different stages or types of discipleship or apprenticeship. The first is called Bet Sefer. It means house of the book. And so this is where 
five to six-year-olds would study the Torah in the synagogue, predominantly reading and memorizing. Then the second stage, which is for six to 12-year-olds, is called the Bet Talmud, which means house of learning. So now they're moving beyond just generalized understanding of the scriptures to now being taught the scriptures with oral interpretation. And the third stage, so this is once a child hits the age of about 13 years old, is Bet Madras. Now, it's a little bit different here, but it it's, speaks of like sit and stand. This idea that you're sitting under specific tutelage, but then you're also standing in it, in the gathering, in the worship of, um, of the synagogue. And the point of this third kind of phase is understanding the application of the Torah to daily life. And so this would be more of that stage where you would choose the rabbi that you're going to work with. And 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 it would be kind of the select few that seem like real, devoted, um, kind of gifted learners. But this is where we get this idea of apprenticeship. So what's happening when they choose a rabbi and when they go to a rabbi and say, I want to follow you, is they're saying, I want to become your apprentice. And I want to follow you. And so it's a three-part combination of, I want to follow your content, your wisdom, your teaching, specifically your interpretation of the scriptures. But secondly, I want to follow you into your character. I want to become like you as a person in your integrity, in your inner life, in your spirituality. And the third piece is then I want to to take it on in such a way that I can pass it on to the next generation, that I too would become a rabbi and I too would take on disciples or apprentices. One of the phrases that comes out of this era and this culture of apprenticeship is this quote. It describes kind of the essence of the rabbi-apprentice relationship. Let your home be a meeting place for the wise. Dust yourself in the soil of their feet and drink thirstily of their words. The kind of translation that we get from this is this idea of like sit amid the dust of their feet. Not Yes, it's humble, I think, obviously being in the dust of feet. But I think it's more about this posture of sitting with the teacher and then this drink thirstily of their words is take it all in. I remember when I went to work with, um, uh, uh, to do my theological training, the the pastor that I worked with would teach multiple different settings on you do catechism and theological training. And even though I knew I'd already sat under his teaching in those areas. I would go over and over and over and over again, year after year after year. It was almost like sitting in a master's degree program, but doing it every every four years over and over and over again, because I just wanted to sit in the theology and think it for myself. Because the goal of true apprenticeship is to be trained to the point of internalization, where the apprentice makes it their own. 
And so essentially to come to Jesus as rabbi and say, I want to follow you. What we're saying is Jesus is my teacher. I am his apprentice. I am diligently working to learn from, to emulate, and to grow into the image and the approval of my teacher. The mindset of a true apprentice is to say that Jesus knows the way, is the way. I am a student of him that I too might know the way, live the way, and pass on that way to others. So I think I think it, it could become a phrase of Christ Church Oceanside, where we as a people are such devoted apprentices that we would say, the way of Jesus is our way. That we're not just proclaiming the way of Jesus, we're saying it's our way, and we as a people are of that. The next thing he says is, I will follow you wherever you go. And this is the heart of a true apprentice. Jesus, I go where you go. And I think this is in sharp contrast to the cultural kind of dominant position that we have today, which seems to be this kind of subconscious expectation that Jesus is an add-on to our lives. Jesus, I want you to follow me and help me wherever I go. Now, there's truth to that desire. I think for the love of God does follow after us, even into the darkest of places. But his love is calling us to follow Jesus. It's not just a, I'm here to, to just resource whatever you want to do. I'm just here to give you grace to whatever life path you choose. True followers of Jesus are, are saying, Jesus, you get Every part of my life is looking to follow you wherever you determine we should go. That you're worth that level of commitment. What this man is willing to do is leave the life that he is living. Leave the ways that he's been following and the thinking that he's had and even the emotional kind of patterns that he's cultivated through his life and all of it, all of it is now up. For Jesus to sift through and determine what's worth keeping and what's worth leaving. That this isn't a small thing. It's not like going, oh, I like listening to that podcast every once in a while. This is a devoted way of saying my whole life now is following wherever you lead me to go. And this is, this is a significant commitment on the part, not only of the apprentice to say, here, have all of me, but the rabbi also has to say, I'll take you. I'll accept you. So the apprentice is bringing Jesus into their home, is, is following Jesus wherever he's going, and they're laying their life down to say, Jesus, I'm up for a rewrite here. And I want to internalize your way. I want your way to be my way, and I want to live your way in true functionality in my day-to-day -day life. So that means every part of me is now, is now looking to sit in the dust of your feet. Every part of me, whether that's my, my emotional or mental life, my relational life, my sexual life, my work life, all of these things want to drink thirstily 
of your words. And I think any church that claims to be of Jesus must take seriously the call of true apprenticeship. So I think the quality of a church can really be measured by three things. Firstly, what's the quality of its message? Is Jesus really the rabbi of the church? Is Jesus really the teacher? And is Jesus being clearly, powerfully proclaimed from the scriptures? So I think the quality of a church should be measured by its message. Is there clarity in the message? Is there power in the message? Does the message work? Does the message bear fruit? And is the message rooted in the scriptures, making sense of the scriptures? And do the scriptures testify back that the message is good when they're read? I think the second piece is that the quality of a church is measured by its apprentices by the quality of its apprentices, meaning are the people in the church and the leaders of the church following Jesus and doing the work of internalization? Are they taking the message and making the message the way that they believe, making the message the way that they feel, making the message the way that they think, making the message the way that they live? Is the quality of the apprentices in the church equivalent to the quality of the message? Because I'll be honest, some of the most brilliant pulpits, a great, incredible teaching, just turns into this, wow, it's nice to hear that great sermon. That's not sufficient for the quality of what a church is meant to be. It's meant to be a people who are hungry to eat the message, to drink the message. I I love seeing people take notes in church because they're looking to digest. When they bring their Bible and go, I want to hear this text of Scripture. I want to know where it is in my Bible. I want to leave with it. I want my notes to surround it. I want to cherish it and honor it and remember this moment that I heard the words of Jesus and received them by faith. That's quality apprenticeship where people don't just want to be entertained. They want to eat and they take their food seriously. So the quality of a church can be measured by the quality of its message the quality of its apprentices, and lastly, the quality of its discipleship, meaning have the apprentices done the work to clarify the message in the scriptures, to internalize them for themselves, and to put their hands to the work of generating paths for the next generation to follow it. So are they concerned with leaving an inheritance. And I've seen some sad examples of this where somebody really knows the gospel and really has internalized it, but then has done no work in their own life, in their own relationships, in creating paths and processes within the church for others to enter into and to exceed exceed 
their experience of the gospel. It's almost like going, well, I did the work. Now you got to figure it out for yourself. I'll tell you about it, but you got to find your own way. True, healthy apprenticeship looks like going, I know I've wrestled with how to give this away. And as a teacher, you wrestle with it different. You go, I feel like I've got this. I've received it as a gift. But now I've got to figure out how do I make it so you can receive this as a gift? How can I explain it in your language, translate it to you in your time, in your culture, make it clear and simple enough that you can receive and enjoy it? So the quality of a church is measured by its ways of passing it on to the next generation. That we want people to be able to come into our church and hear the message of the way of Jesus, encounter him, see that we live what we preach, see in us that we're real apprentices, and then be welcomed into paths that they can follow and trust that will lead them into the same and more. That they too would carry it to more and more people and to future generations. What's incredible about this is that every other part of the church's mission flows out of these three areas. The quality of its message, the quality of its apprentices, and the quality of its discipleship lead to quality relationships, lead to serious activism towards justice, result in authentic expressions of generosity, and hardworking individuals that are in pursuit of the highest goods. All of these things flow out of the quality of a church's culture of discipleship. And I, I find it striking, even here, Jesus going, I'm not into the crowd thing. I'm into making disciples. And then true disciples come forward and go, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. My whole life is up. My whole life is submitted. I want to sit in the dust at your feet. And I want to drink thirstily of your words that I might own this for myself, make it my own and give it to future generations. That's true apprenticeship in the way of Jesus. So I want you to kind of leave with these three questions. And you can even consider Christ Church Oceanside of whether or not we're living up to this. Is the quality of our church, can we measure it by our message, measure it by our apprentices, and measure it by our paths of discipleship? And determine for yourself, where are you at? Are you calling Jesus teacher? Are you bringing your whole life and saying, I will follow you, Jesus, and I'll go wherever you go. I want to sit in the dust at your feet and drink thirstily of your words. I think those things are worthy of consideration for us today. Is this, my friends, is the way of Jesus. Amen.